welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers. And me, Kami Nuttall, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy. Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do. You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work. And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realize a culture of inclusion for all. Today, more than ever, people are asking what we can do to dismantle white supremacy. When Leila Efsad launched her Instagram campaign, Me and White Supremacy, she had no idea about how this would become a phenomenon. Within a short while, over 90,000 people had downloaded her workbook. People were interested in how they could steward their privilege if they were white. In our last episode, we looked at how this concept had generated a bit of a stigma in that the concept of white privilege was over-talked about, but the concept of privilege as a whole was less figural, given that people felt undermined and attacked if they were white people. We shared with you how you could look at stewarding your privilege, no matter what your race, your gender, your age, your sexuality, etc. Now, today, we are thrilled and delighted to be introducing you to someone who's been actively doing the work to understand his own white privilege and steward his white privilege beyond what he was doing in the past. And this episode contains an interview with our very special guest, Roger Williams, who will be sharing those experiences with you. The point of my journey and this, this change is I'm, I'm somebody who thought I was a fully observed equal rights, equal, you know, straight down the line, didn't, didn't get any of this. And then suddenly, suddenly I saw all these subconscious biases kicking in, some of which you, I learned behaviors from very young and you just can't overcome them. They, you know, the it, images flash into your mind from things that have been said and done in the past, things that were acceptable and stuff like that. And it just, it, it is, it's really interesting and I, that, that a conscious mind in relation to privilege is a very mm. different place to be. Um, it certainly is. It certainly is. I mean, I think just reflecting on both of your stories just then, you know, you talked about, Ishreen talked about being the, the almost the, the, you know, the person who didn't belong there because of the interaction and relation uh, connection between the two individuals who were mirroring each other. And, and Roger, you were talking about, you know, a reflection of somebody who is perhaps underrepresented in the majority group and they're being, um, you know, jokes about their, their, their predominant gender and how inappropriate that actually is. And, and the thing is, what we don't tend to do is acknowledge the normalized, so the social norms that we have. So these normalized behaviors. Um, and until we start calling those out, 
it's, it's very hard. And it's very hard for the person who's the minority in the group to call that out, right? You've reflected on your own experience of being the only white person in the group, for example, Roger, and how difficult you felt that. So, you know, whether you're whatever whatever identity you're you're bringing to a group if you're the minority in that group then how much power do you really have to be able to share your experience and say no that's unacceptable it's not banter and mm-hmm. i don't appreciate this conversation because the pull to be belong and to connect is so much more you know yeah. in terms of driving human behavior yeah it, it's spot on and my feeling my feeling wasn't when i when in that situation my feeling was that I didn't have that depth of expertise or ex- or lived experience mm-hmm. of these issues because of my status as the pale male stale bloke who essentially I'm at the top of the privileged tree because basically things haven't necessarily happened to me in the way that they'd happened to other people. Yeah. I just felt a little bit cautious of being a, of sharing any story or any viewpoint because I, I, I kind of intrinsically knew that everybody else in that conversation had had a lot more lived experience of it than I, than I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to just, I just wanted to just bring out one thing that you, another thing that you talked about, which is, it, you know, touching on it, which is assumptions, the assumptions we bring to a conversation. And something that struck me when you started designing the survey was a conversation we started having about the different people who were responding to the survey. So, um, so if we if we just look at it from um, the ethnicity perspective, so people of color who responded to the survey compared to white people who responded to the to the survey, when we were comparing the conversations that were happening and the feedback we were getting, that in itself was really interesting, wasn't it? It, it, it was, um, and it and it pushed me to do something quite challenging. Um, uh, what I've noticed in in lots of surveys is that people ask you to describe your ethnicity and your sexual preference. And, it, and the list went down all the different alternatives, etc. So w- one of the design ideas that I, I then acted on is that the survey doesn't ask you um, where, which ethnic minority you're from. It says, are you white? Mm. And if you're white, then you're not anything else. And it says, are you male? And if you're saying male, then you're not identifying as anything else. And if you're heterosexual, you'll tick the box. So for the first time, people who normally wouldn't have to tick the boxes because they fitted into the conventional society view are now ticking the boxes to say, I'm white, I'm male, I'm heterosexual, I'm, I'm fully abled, uh, I, I, I'm reasonably well off. Mm. So you're ticking yourself into the corner. <laughs> wow. um, you're making you, you're making your, you immediately when I shared it with white male friends, they immediately said that was an odd set of questions to ask. Right. Just, and, and I thought, wow, perfect. <laughs> 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 because it's making you uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what was interesting for me was, there was a, you'd done a huge amount of research and you came up with the first iteration. And then when we reviewed that iteration, you discovered some things and then we created the current iteration. So I'd love, love to hear a bit about that process and what you discovered in moving from the first to the second iteration. Um, the, I think that the reaction I got was showed that the, the tone of voice was wrong in the first instance. 
the tone of voice was too scientific and it was too um, it was too unemotional and detached. So the the main difference between the first iteration and the second iteration was that uh, having then heard the voice of the survey expressed back to me by you guys, hmm. I immediately was able to see where it was wrong and, and therefore to change the tone, to change the voice of it, to actually talk in, in, in a more conversational way with, with individuals. Hmm. Let, let, let me explain a little bit more. The, everything in, the, you know, the technology has changed. And so when people build IT systems and they build CRM or web pages or whatever, the, the first iteration is always the one that brings it to life. And then immediately you can start saying things about it that are different, which is why Agile works, because you get something up and working and then you critique it into the thing that you really wanted. And you can't ever sit there back then and go, this is how I want it to work, because nothing survive in, in design thinking, which is a philosophy that I'm now totally wedded to, nothing survives first exposure to a customer. Hmm. Once you show the thing to the customer, the customer goes, oh, um, you know, that's that's not quite right. Um, and I, I remember an experience I had when I was at BT, when I was, um, I, I led a partnership with Apple and I spent quite a lot of time working with Apple. And I was the first person outside of the States to hold an Apple Newton. And they gave me this horrible brick with a screen that you could scribble on. And I flipped open the top and I went, hello. <laughs> and the place was in uproar because it wasn't a phone at the time. It was mm. just a brick. And it was, that was, so when you see things like that, it changes your perception of what it is that you're trying to do. And that's really fundamentally, I, I banged out the first version of the survey. I knew it was going to be wrong. Your reactions and your feedback gave me the right voice. I found the voice for the survey then. Um because I hate surveys that people just tick, 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 tick. Mm. You know, the survey has to be conversational. And also, the, the, it's got to ask the right questions in the right way, because mm. it's, ans it's answering questions that help you learn more than reading answers. You but, learn I, yeah. but I also felt, Roger, that in that process, your... Um, absorption of the distinctions around privilege really expanded uh yeah it did because we got closer into the different distinctions and i was learning from your reactions what the what these things meant and what was important versus what wasn't important yeah. and that then helped me in my learning and understanding so that was a big part of my journey of thinking this is the thing that pisses people off can I say that? Yeah. This yeah. is the thing. <laughs> You've said it, Roger. I've said it. I, I had another phrase to use, but I, I just held back on that. <laughs> um, this is this is what pisses people off. No, it isn't, because <laughs> it's not. It, you, you're not suffering at the at the hands of this statement. This is the thing that's really hurtful, and so that it it allowed me to recalibrate the questions that we were asking. If you remember previous, in, in the very first instance of it, there was this whole list of different abusive situations that you could do. And it wasn't adding anything to the survey. It was just, I was, I was almost trying to demonstrate what I'd uncovered in research, hmm. but it wasn't really doing anything. When we then got into this, I, the, 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 the bit, there's, there's a, there's a, Structured uh, by by um, uh, a behavioral psychologist called Ken Wilber, 
who talks about different states of being. Um, so it's I, so you and your learned and your 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 past history and your uh, learned behaviors and who what makes you you. Then there's we. We is is another in we, it's it's how you collaborate and connect with and turn up to other people. So I may be intentional to be one thing, but we turns out to be something else. You show up as another person to other people, and it gives it different context. It is is about um, how that organization is then perceived. And then it's, is sorry, how that organization operates is it. And it's is how that organization is perceived externally. And that gave us the structure for the survey to take the journey from being your individual perspective, then your collective perspective, then your organizational perspective, and then how other people think of you as a consequence. Mm -hmm. And that gives then a very rounded way of looking at an organization in the context of privilege. So the stages got a little bit deeper and we were able to use the routing facility in in the software to get to the right questions at the right time. And those, those are the fundamental differences um, in the first iteration and the final iteration. Because the risk that we've uncovered is that somebody can unintentionally apply some aspect of privilege in, in what might seem like a reasonably innocuous way, but that can have terrible consequences for that organization. Mm. And it's and once and once that particular issue is opened up, it's very hard to close the door on it. Um, I think we we all are observing the current dilemma that the government is in right mm. now, for as a consequence of opening up a little issue, where people thinking maybe rightfully that they've they earned the right to do what they did, but the reality is is that people see that as a massive exercise of privilege Mm. um, and and of self-justification. And that's resulted in some major headlines and major challenges um, for the government right now. Indeed. Indeed. It's very interesting times right now. Absolutely. And Roger, I think think what we'll do is um, ask you a question, very specific question, just to help close us out on this conversation. And that is, what has been your biggest learning in the last sets of months or year in working with us on this? And I know there's, there's a number of different things you've talked about, but how would you distill it? What would you distill it down to as a, the single most important learning that anyone embarking on this journey would become aware of or experience? I, I think that, that everything flows from you being conscious of what you're saying and doing. And that, that you need to think, you need to research and you need to read and you need to talk to people and understand their perspective mm. and then make a conscious response to this. Don't let that subconscious take over. And, and even when that's, you think you're trained and fully aware and fully kind of aligned and stuff like that, just be aware, just be conscious of the person that you're talking to and have some empathy with that person's particular viewpoint. Um, I can say that I, I'm confused and I have, and I'm challenged by a lot of the gender identification language mm. um, and what, what its purpose is. 
But what's really, really important is for me to respect people who feel it's important and, and to seek to understand and be conscious about how, how, how I should work with that information. So the, the single thing is being conscious, thinking it through, not just letting it flow or shooting your mouth off and then finding you've gone in a, in a direction that, that wasn't appropriate. So it's mm-hmm. consciousness. And, and that consciousness leads to different actions. Amazing. Ishreen, that sounds like allyship to me. It certainly does. And thank you, Roger, for being such an amazing ally for us. It's been my privilege. Thank you. <laughs> I love thank that. Thank you, Roger. I love that. Yeah. And um, I'm really excited, Cami, because next week we're going to be sharing some of the data that's come out of the work that Roger's done with us, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to dive into some of the early indicators of the, of the data and uh, we'll give some more information about the, the privilege conundrum, which is that's what it's called. Amazing. So this is part of the podcast episode where we answer your frequently asked questions. And the question, Ishreen, we have today is how to make meaningful and long-term change. This person has no interest in box ticking, which is absolutely brilliant. Perfect. They, they want the issues to be right for their organization and community. So how do we make change meaningful and long-term is the question. What a great question. And I love that they want to make it meaningful, right? So the first piece for me with any change program, and particularly with an equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging program is to engage everyone. Mm. You know, it's so important to engage everyone. So um, really, I think that starts with, we've covered a lot of this in, in episodes two to five, right? Yes. So the importance of having a shared purpose, Mm -hmm. the importance of um, catering to everybody and making reasonable adjustments to account for privilege and power. And I think those, you know, if if you want some more detailed tips about that, you can listen to the other episodes, but essentially have a clear vision, have a clear purpose for the organization and for individuals so that they can share and own it and then manage the power and privilege dynamics to ensure that everybody feels that they can be heard and, and has their say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, powerful. And, and actually, sorry to interrupt you, Cami, is actually they're excited about what this could mean for themselves and the organization. So yeah, important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely important. Um, bringing everyone along. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the bit that I would add to that is, you know, once you've got that engagement and communication started with the whole organization, you can't move forward unless you begin to first understand the lay of your land now. So what is your culture as an organization now? What's the experience of culture at work in this context and broader if necessary? So for me, the, you know, a culture audit is really, really fundamental. So you need to understand your culture blueprint. You may have one, you might not have one, but everyone, you know, knowingly have one, if I can put it that way. But you, everyone, every organization has a, has a culture blueprint of some sort. And it's about unpicking that and uncovering that and understanding it in the context of what is really valued, what sorts of decisions are we taking here, 
you know, um, what what outcomes are we trying to pursue and the way we try and do that. So it's really about understanding our ways of working, how we relate to one another, how we are driven, uh, how our behaviors are driven in the context of our systems and processes, how we talk to one another, the language we use, the rituals we perform, i.e., you know, do we have, are we, are we in meetings, um, uh, you know, type organization? We just have lots and lots of meetings, but no action really, no outcome. So we're talking shop more than anything. Or actually, are we really, really into productivity and results and outcomes? Um, we don't care how we go get those, but, but they're fundamental to, to achieving results and, and you know, making ourselves known as an organization in our markets. So it's about understanding basically how we're orientated in terms of our culture, what we really value, um, and that blueprint that, that, that we work from, um, you know, uncovering that, I think. So knowing what your culture is now is fundamental. Mm. And then, of course, with the vision, a, a really good plan of how you're going to get there, like having a really clear to-be state, right? Absolutely. You need to know your outcome for your culture. So if, mm-hmm. if you talked about right at the beginning, you know, engage with the whole organization and purpose and, and vision and bring everyone along, Excite everyone needs to be excited about that. Yeah. yeah. So your to-be state needs to be driving that you know yeah. so it's got, yeah. to, got to achieve that outcome yeah and engaging everybody again in, yes. in that process of getting to to the to be and and uh, part of that is actually having a really effective communication plan yeah so essential an internal communications framework and plan and so few organizations think about doing that no absolutely. they're all into the doing and then they're wondering why when they get to kind of phase 2 of the implementation how come people aren't engaged anymore yes yeah, yeah it's very exactly. thoughtful communication so critical so Cammy, if you were to summarize what we've um, what we've discussed what would you say are the three key takeaways on this question so i think the first one is very clear right we need to um, align and understand purpose, power, and privilege, and, and how those intersect and how they play out in our organisation. Understand the outcome we we're, we're trying to achieve. I think the second one is is really having that culture audit and uh, understanding that you know as is what is our culture and experience of culture right now at work, and having a really effective communications plan. So I think those, those are the three takeaways. Yeah, and that will definitely make it relevant to your organization rather than be generic, right? Absolutely. You want meaningful yeah. long-term change Yeah, and address all those three points. Beautiful. So, Roger, thank you so much for taking the time to come back and do our um, quick-fire questions conversation, which we've started doing on our podcasts now. Um, so, welcome again. I've got, um, I've got four questions for you. Okay. Can I go right into them? Go for it. All right. So, look, this is a question we ask all of our guests, and for us it's really important. So the first is, what privilege story has impacted you the most? Um, well, I've got a very personal answer to this um, because while I could comment on my observations of political behaviours and stuff like that and the headline stories and Partygate and all that other stuff where that's kind of one rule for one and another for the... That's kind of a nice generic thing. But I wanted to share with you something a little bit more personal. 
and, and, and mine is this, is that my journey over the last 12, 18 months talking about this and understanding it and researching it and designing the, 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 the survey um, heightened and changed my perception of privilege, made me much more sensitive to it and I'm much more aware of it. And I have to say that the consequence of this is it's changed the nature of my relationships with a lot of my friends. Amazing. Um, I've made some decisions that I've, I'm not going to maintain relationships with some people, and I've started to make more effort on relationships with others. So it's my the impact it's had on me as a, as the overall is is the story that's impacted me the most. Wow! But that awareness has just changed my perception of a lot of things. Wow, that's amazing. I'm kind of. Um... I kind of want to riff off that a little bit, which is not going to be in the quick fire answer. It's kind of like there's one argument that if you cut them off, then you can't influence them anymore. Um, that's true, but I think there's also, and I have, a, I did actually consider that, but some people, I'm not sure if I could. Sure. I'm not sure if I could. And actually, I think for my own sense of well-being, I'd rather not, Got it. basically. Got it. In wow. a nutshell. That's quite profound. Yeah. They, they were also two of my best friends as well. Wow. God, Roger, thank you for sharing that. Mm. Amazing story. So now... Um, this is my favorite question, actually. What's your favorite <laughs> indulgence? Okay, well, obviously, it's a glass of wine after a busy day, so it's as simple as that. I have no, it is my favorite indulgence. I know I shouldn't do it, but, yeah, I do it. Well, they say one glass a day is good for your health, right? That's it's true. Right. It's the other five that I drink after it. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too funny. So, Roger, next question. What is the biggest achievement that you've had and how did that happen? Something's um, happened and I can say hand on heart 100% that our relationship and this process has had significant impact on me. And it's happened in a rather profound way because not only was I seeing and observing and awakening to what we've been talking about through privilege, but also I was working with Professor Leslie Gadman on individual thinking, which again, I started off thinking, oh, for God's sake, this is all a little bit pie in the sky, airy fairy bullshit type stuff. And um, the more I've learned about it, and in fact, the way I applied my understanding of privilege and relationships, and it's really helped me to, to, to reshape my, my, my thinking of who I am. Wow. Then when, uh, when my diagnosis of autism landed, mm. I kind of then took the opportunity to review a lot of what I was doing. And one of the things that's changed is my confidence. Mm. So um, I've taken on a new role that I wouldn't have taken on before. And... I'll tell you quite frankly, I'm sorry, this is a bit of a long answer, but this is really a ground shaking for me. It's the role that I take, would normally take on. And then I almost in my mind expect that, 
okay, at least it'll be good for a couple of months. And then they'll notice that I'm not doing what I thought I could do. And my confidence is so high right now as a consequence of what I've learned over the last 18 months that that's not going to happen. Amazing. And the changes that I've made and the things, the way that I'm doing things are totally overcoming what I consider to be my lack of confidence. So, yeah, privilege and awareness of privilege has, and, and the way that it's treated in the, and the rationale behind it has basically had a, a massively positive impact perversely on my own confidence. That's amazing, Roger. And I can hear how important that is to you in your voice. Um, you you better, yeah, better believe it, yeah. I can hear it in your voice. That's, do you know, my, my wish is that we can make that difference for everybody we work with. That would be that so amazing for us. I can tell you now that, 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 that the revelations of seeing the things that you, and listening to your expertise and capability has been a foundation of that change in me. And um, I don't know if I could have done it before, but at least... You know, there's no time machine. We don't go back in time. We only go forward. So now I've got it. Now I've got it. I'll make the most of it. Amazing. And you you were talking to me about that new job just before we um, we started this recording. And and what you're doing blows my mind. It's so good. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. It does, but it does come with a with that second indulgence question <laughs> as a consequence. <laughs> Quite a lot, right? Yes, yes, possibly more than I should. <laughs> so my final question is that if you had unlimited resources to put together the ultimate resource for ensuring an equi equitable organisation, what would that be? Um, relationship managers, people who look at every aspect of the interactions and relationships between people because People don't see the other people for the people that they are. They see them through a mask or a cloud or, or from their own perspective. And it, it leads to conflict and it leads to misunderstanding in a, in a lot of organizations. And it leads to people saying, oh, you know, okay, I was acting a little bit awful, but I didn't really mean to. It was just my unconscious bias or whatever. I think, I think that somebody who is focused on relationship coaching for every possible relationship, you did say unlimited, right? That, 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 that if those relationships could be suddenly perfected, that that function of that organization would be, would be brilliant. And of course, the way to implement it is to put this capability into the heads of every individual. And then you don't need relationship coaches because you become your own relationship coach. That's right. Oh, wow. That would be amazing. Roger, thank you for indulging us by taking those four questions and really moved by your answers, actually, and looking forward to sharing that with our listeners. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening, everyone. Really appreciate your time that you spent with us. Hope you got a lot out of the conversation. We certainly did. And we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks, Roger. Bye. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organisation. You can check out our episode description for social media accounts and don't forget to send in your questions and you can send those to 
our email equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Cami said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.